Welcome to New Zealand's next top podcast, the official podcast of the Opportunities Party. You'll hear from our candidates as they share our story and the vision that we have for the future of Aotearoa. We think that political status quo must go because we can't keep doing the same thing that we've been doing for the last four decades and expect a different outcome. That's the definition of insanity. I'm Natalia Albert, Deputy Leader and Wellington Central Candidate for the Opportunities Party. And in this episode, I'm joined by Raf Manji, leader of the Opportunities Party and candidate for ILM, and Dr. Naomi Pocock, candidate for Hamilton West. Kia ora korua. Thanks for joining me today to talk about social cohesion. Thank you. Thanks for hosting this great event. It's great to be here. Social cohesion is a complex, abstract term. It means different things to different people. All three of us have been involved and interested in this topic from very different vantage points. I've been, like I said, I've developed the social cohesion policy after the 15th of March attacks. RAF was very involved with the victims. Naomi has a lot of background and academic perspectives on this. So I thought I'd start off by asking you guys why you were interested in this episode and in talking about social cohesion, why it matters to you. Yeah, I think for me, it started probably with the Christchurch earthquakes. Uh, I'd worked in the community space uh, as a budget services advisor. I'd worked with children of prisoners. I'd worked with refugee resettlement services. And all of those had aspects of social issues, but not perhaps in a big social cohesion framework. After the earthquakes, the, the response of the community and the response of groups like the Student Volunteer Army Foundation, which I was very involved in, and I was the chair for the, the first sort of two to three years, that got me thinking about actually how communities operate and how important it is that we have strong communities and they can rely on each other. And that's where my interest really took hold. And then I stood for council and was involved in a sort of more governance perspective around that. And then, of course, 15th of March, which we can, can talk about later. But I, th I think for me, it just stressed that when we're facing tough times, having a community or a country that understands some sense of purpose and shared values is critically important because we can see, particularly overseas, what the downsides of that are. And we saw a little bit of that here with the parliamentary protests as well. So we shouldn't yeah, we shouldn't take it for granted that we don't have those same problems. So that's why I think this is such an important kind of meta topic for all of us mm -hmm. to think about. Awesome. Thanks, Raf. What about you, Naomi? Uh, before I had my children, I wrote uh, a PhD on concepts of home and belongingness and mm -hmm. identity construction in the context of uh, a major life disruption and how we as individuals renegotiate that process or sense of where we belong or who we connect with and what the activities are that are meaningful to us that give us that sense of home. And that was my background in terms of the importance of community. Then I had my three children and disappeared for a while, three boys in three and a half years. But the reason I joined TOP is because they understand the importance of empowering communities. And I can see some massive meta trends that are coming our way, some big disruptions. And I want to look them in the eye when I'm 80 and say to them, I did everything that I could to for their future. And so for me, it's about the importance of community belongingness. We are organic biological beings who need to connect with others in person. And, and yeah, that's my background. 
Awesome. Cool. That's a fascinating PhD topic. That should be another whole episode on its yes. own. And I'm sure all three of us could talk about this for a really long time because I think we're really placed, all three of us, because of the depth of understanding that we have, but also the different perspectives because I come at it from an individual perspective and an academic and also a professional. So being a migrant woman from Mexico and having lived in Canada and the States very young and having dual citizenship and now being a New Zealander, I really struggled when I moved to New Zealand with this idea of being a migrant from a non-English speaking country, but also when I started to understand the history of New Zealand and this tension between being the colonizer or the colonized and trying to understand politics through a lens of where do I fit in? Because fundamentally, I'm, I do feel quite multicultural myself, right? Like I have very strong values from America and Canada and Mexico and now New Zealand. I don't consider myself as ethnic, which is how New Zealand has had a categorized and measured the population that I come from. And I couldn't understand where I fit in to the fabric of New Zealand. And that took me down a path of being very involved with government and developing and growing the diversity and inclusion kind of management of the population and how that comes from a multicultural academic theory, but then negotiating that with the bicultural tensions. So anyway, I was very involved in that space with Stats and Zed, and I was doing my undergrad and my master's in that topic. And then I got tapped on the shoulder by someone that was involved with the Royal Commission of Inquiry into the 15th of March attacks. And they told me, you are the right person to lead the development of the recommendations of the social cohesion element of that report. And so I reached out to MSD. I pitched them why I thought I was the right person, and thank God they hired me as the lead for the development of that policy. And that took me on a journey that changed my life. I was very involved with iwi and Maori and the victims and government and developing an all-of-government approach to social cohesion, and it's an incredibly complicated topic. And now I'm doing my PhD on that, so that's why I care about this and why I could talk about this all day. And so what, do you, what does this mean t- to you? What is social? If someone asks you to define social cohesion, as briefly and simply as possible, let's just go around the table. Raf, how would you define it? Quite, uh, quite simply, a sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. That's it. A sense of belonging. No matter where you come from, you feel that you belong here. And that's it very simply. So it doesn't mean everyone's got to adopt everyone else's cultures, beliefs, practice, whatever. In fact, it's not that at all. It's mm-hmm. simply that whoever you bump into down the street, you nod, say, hello, how are you doing? and people feel safe. That, that for me, is the bottom line. And we can talk endlessly about policies and things, but that's really what it's about, you know, yeah. for me, and, anyway. Yeah, I, I agree. I think belongingness is the fundamental concept that underpins social cohesion. And then on top of that is the opportunity to participate in your community and to thrive in a society. And so that means things like access to fair access to education, healthcare, all those sorts of things. And I was, re- I was, I read uh, the paper that you sent us in preparation for this, Natalia. Thank you very much uh, from Koitu, the um, Centre for Informed Futures. And I was super, um, super surprised to, to read they couldn't consider us super diverse. And so there's over 25% of our population is born overseas and we have 213 different ethnic groups in New Zealand with over 150 languages. And I didn't realise that as a general New Zealander. So I think that's something we should be talking about 
And I think that's something that everybody needs to realise and understand and then still within that, still feel that sense of belongingness to the wider society of Aotearoa New Zealand. Yeah, that's yeah. All those statistics are staggering, and and the demography and the changing demographic of New Zealand is a really important element of social cohesion. And I would love to touch on that in a, in in a bit. But in just to park on the definition and the sense of belonging. So belonging is one of the six key identifiers that the Royal Commission stated as a definition of social cohesion. Right. So they said it was belonging, inclusion, participation, safety, and that you trust your institutions. And we, I'm interested in the sense of belonging because we got a lot of responses, for example, from the engagement of what that meant for people. And one definition that I heard from one of the community hui's that we were in in the South Island really struck a chord, which was, I will feel I belong when I can influence. It was coming from a Muslim woman that couldn't access work, couldn't access a higher income role. She was a lawyer. She really struggled. And I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about what you think, because we, when we say belonging, it's in all the policy documents. It's a very popular term. It's morally the right thing to say. But there are some groups that no matter how hard we try, we can't participate in the conversation and we can't influence and we can't access those roles where the decisions are made. And so no matter how kind people are to us and how nice it feels and how safe I feel, if I can't influence after a certain level or I can't access a certain role past a certain salary band, I will fundamentally always feel like I don't belong. And so how do we, how do we navigate that for these communities that feel that belonging is that? And do you agree with that definition? Do you think that a sense of belonging is part of being able to influence or not really? Yeah, no, it's, it's a really good point. And I think, and, and I would say, in a way, being on the other side of the fence around the 15th of March response on the kind of on the ground with the survivors, I thought the social cohesion chapter was brilliant. And obviously, mm-hmm. I didn't know that you'd been involved in it back then. But actually, it was one of the standout pieces of work, even though it wasn't directly related to the attack and the details around that. I thought, oh, wow, this is a really something good's come out of this thing. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right in terms of the inclusion and we hear a lot about diversity and inclusion and I think people don't always understand what that means it doesn't mean coming to a seminar and having some muffins and tea and hearing somebody tell you what the policy or strategy is it's about work it's about community Mm -hmm. and when I you know went to visit families um, who'd been affected by the shooting uh, often there'd be kids there um, young adults and a lot of them would just complain hey we've been to university we can't get jobs And the implicit understanding was, okay, you've got a strange name. And therefore, when you send your CV in, and we know all the studies that have been done around blind CVs, and (laughs) you change your name, and the Chinese have been very good at this, they realized a long time ago, actually, we just need a Christian name. We still have our family names, but it's much easier. And this this is a huge challenge. And I think it's, it's a challenge for New Zealand. A lot of countries have gone way beyond this. This is where America, for all its faults, has always been a country of immigrants and yes people are justifiably proud of of their cultures and and where they come from but essentially american you're something american but you're always american and we don't quite have apart from the all blacks and now the black we don't have that sense of kiwiness and that's that for me is a big part of that national civic service model is trying to create a sense of what does it mean to be a citizen 
So like you, I was thinking of PhD, <laughs> it's what, what does it mean to be a citizen in the 21st century? And how do we include people uh, properly in society? And like you say, it's not just saying, I am you or whatever that post was after 15th of March it's, yeah. and coming out. And it was an incredible outpouring of support. But then everyone went back to their normal jobs. And then it's how do we get included? Don't just pat us on the back and say, you feel terrible. How do we become included? Because we want to be. We want to make a contribution and we've got skills. So that's a kind of a big barrier. And for those of us who are immigrants or come from immigrant families, we understand these things. And often we don't want to talk about them because it's a bit like, oh, we have to address some issues. But uh, I think you're right. The inclusion and as Naomi said, being able to influence and talk about stuff is really important. And we need to get beyond looking at the way people look or dress or whatever and hear what they've got to say. And that's, there's all kinds of reasons why that's a challenge, but that's where we need to go to next, I think. Mm. I, I agree. I think we've lost our way and our sense of what it means to be a Kiwi uh, or, a, you know, a citizen of this country. And I think the difference that America has is that they still have a very strong national identity. Now, I don't necessarily agree with national identities in this global world of one species on a finite planet, but the sense of who we are and how we belong in our society is fundamental to our personal well-being. And within that does come a sense of influencing in the sphere where you want to have influence. So whether that's in your family or a wider community group or at a, a greater level like you were talking about, Natalia, in terms of the work that you get to do. And I think also that the I had a, I also had a volunteer who had a double-barreled name. One was a Māori name, one was a, a European name. When he sent his CV in with his Māori sur name, he'd be rejected more often than when he took that out of his CV, mm. which is devastating. So it's not just the immigrants, but we're all actually immigrants in this nation, right? We all came from somewhere else. We're all descendant of immigrants. And so I think the way that we have the messaging coming out of the leadership and out of the media is crucial to the way that we understand ourselves and our society. And there's actually some really strong neuroscientific evidence around the stories that we hear is what drives our perception in the world that we find ourselves in. And so that messaging is crucial. And I don't think we're doing a great job of it at the moment. And I think our leaders uh, need to take a uh, a greater responsibility or sense of responsibility for the influence that they have over the society. Yep. Yeah, and that's a really good just sorry, a, a segue on kind of the role of government I and mean, the role of us as candidates at the moment, this election cycle in the context that we're now, I'd like to spend a bit of time getting your thoughts as to why, for example, cross-party solidarity is important and how that impacts social cohesion, how the way we communicate as candidates this election and show that political leadership and that political responsibility impacts social cohesion or not. And so I wanted to get your thoughts, each of you, on how you're carrying yourself this election and what decisions are you making with social cohesion in mind, understanding that we are all different groups with opposing views, and now we have a responsibility right, in this platform that we have, this election, and what decisions are we going to make? What's the language that we're going to use? What are some of the things you think about as candidates and each of your electorates? I'd be really interested to know. 
Yeah, it's a good question because it, it depends where you are in the country. Obviously, Auckland is much more diverse as a broader community. And for those people who don't live in Auckland, they often don't realize that. But when you go there, you see it's completely different. And the demographics, as you mentioned earlier, tell us that New Zealand in 20 years time is going to be a very different looking country. And how do we tap into particularly those younger generations? But how do we also make older generations feel like they're part of the community as well and not just stuck in their own little sort of communities where they can't participate? And that's, I don't think we've done a good job in that sort of nation building. I think politically, often what we call ethnic communities, but let's call it more multicultural communities, have been picked just for, for show in some respects mm-hmm. without a strong voice behind it. And it's, oh, do we have a Chinese? Do we have an Indian? And all, all that kind of stuff. And But I'm really positive because I deal a lot with that new generation coming through and they're incredibly passionate. And the Kiwis, they have a sense of New Zealand and have a sense of their own heritage and cultural background. And those two things can be part of the same thing. That's what makes life interesting. So I think our job is to be open. Often people say to me, oh, it's so good talking to you because there's a sense of openness and they feel like they can be themselves. And that's very different. Now, for us as a small party, raising our awareness on a broader scale, away from just being policy wonks uh, and being people that engage with communities. I think that's been the difference in this election for us, is we're focusing a little bit more on that in terms of the people we represent. So when I'm down here talking to people, I say, I represent you. If you send me to Parliament as your MP, I'm your representative, as well as running this party thing. And I expect the same for other MPs that we have from different communities. And I think... Our approach is very localized. It is very distributed. There's a, a you know broad degree of independence and a sense that we might all be representing different perspectives within a broader kind of policy framework of the sort of key things we would like to see. And obviously social cohesion is one because if we don't get that, we've got plenty of examples around the world where stuff is not working out and where there is a backlash and there's a rise in nationalism and there's a kind of anti-immigrant thing. And I think New Zealand can push through that because Kiwi values are generally open and welcoming. Uh, But obviously when times get hard, particularly economically, a lot of that stuff goes out the window. So there's, I think it is important for us to be as open as we can to all people during this campaign. And in my electorate, Hamilton West is demographically quite representative of the population, whichever way you cut up the demographics. So it's quite representative of New Zealand. And what we're doing here is asking for the party vote because of the way politics works and the way that they didn't put in the Electoral Commission review recommendations from 2012. We're still playing this game of trying to get RAF in first and everyone else the party vote. So for me, it's about talking about why am I giving all this time to top? And it's because we're a group of people who are willing to work with either side Mm. or with anyone who will work with us to get the things done that need to be done that have been ignored for decades, whether you're, whatever issue you're looking at. And 
it's no wonder that we've got so many of our population becoming so disenfranchised with politics, with their opportunity to vote, what that means for them. It's not just the underprivileged, it's becoming the teachers and the nurses and the labourers and it's just a huge swathe of our population that aren't engaging with politics because of the way that they've been ignored for so many decades. So I love the fact that Top wants to drive good policy through the what needs to be done, what's been recommended by all these inquiries and reviews and reports, and but work with either side to get that done. Mm, done. Sit in the middle is the message that I'm giving people. Yeah, those and those are all really important. And I agree uh, wholeheartedly with the importance of having a party that will work across the political spectrum and show that cross-party solidarity. And I talk a lot to my constituents here in Wellington Central about the importance of having a party like TOP to mature the MMP system, to decentralize power, to hold the bigger parties accountable within government in a way that's sensible and balanced and informed and not ideological or radical or extreme in its views. And now it's more important than ever to have a party like that because what's at stake, as Raf explained, with social cohesion, and the only reason we're talking about social cohesion is because the cracks have started to show. You don't really talk about social cohesion when you have it. You only talk about it when it's been disrupted. And with the earthquake, with the 15th of March, with the protests in Parliament, with COVID and the mandates, and the growth of the left and the growth of the right, people's views are so extreme and not only extreme, but in unflexible. And there's the lack of understanding that I like to think of it as the strongest metals are the most flexible metals. Right. And I'd like to think of top as the most flexible strongest party because of our flexibility and Wellington Central specifically is one of the most literate, involved, engaged, organized electorates in the country in election years. And right now we're going through a really difficult process of reconciling the future vision of let's get Wellington moving with the needs of demographics that are older that live in Karori and Thorndon, for example, that aren't going to bike up Karori Road, right? Yep. What they want is a bus, but then you have these counselors that are prioritizing young people and the future. And I was yesterday at a public meeting for the Karori Residents Association, and the tension is real, and the concerns are real, and the emotions are really high. And I felt a sense of responsibility to stand up and ask a question of the counselors of saying, okay, if you're saying that the bike lanes are going to happen regardless of what this community is telling you, what's your compromise? Are you going to be more transparent? Are you going to be more honest? What is it that you're bringing to this conversation? And that for me was an example of displaying some leadership and balancing those tensions without ignoring the opposing views. And I think that's a political responsibility that a lot of the candidates this election aren't doing. And it's really important for candidates from top, I think, to show that throughout the campaign, not just say it. So, yeah, that's a really big motivation for me and why I'm doing this and why I joined top, because I saw the victims of the 15th of March and I saw the, for example, the Islamic Women's Council of New Zealand say we've been writing to the government for 10 years, mm. 10 years to help us. Mm. And it's taken the death of 51 people for you to take a second look. And it just broke my heart. Mm. And I felt a huge sense of responsibility. So when Raf 
suggested to be a candidate, I took the opportunity with both hands and said, I think it's now the tipping point. We can't allow the right to keep growing and the left to keep growing. We absolutely need to diversify the governing model of New Zealand so we can go back to not talking about social cohesion and just living it. I I think on that ignoring issue as well, I think it's crucial that government is actually held to account, which it's not. There's too many things passing under urgency. There's too, the lobbying in Australia, Mm. they have a register, who's lobbying whom for what. We have no idea here. There's nothing Mm. registered about who's paying what money, who's paying what's going on in the background. And Mm. the, the parliamentary question time has become sort of a, play place instead of an, a rational debate on policy, which is what it's designed to be. And there's a lot of ignoring going on. Like you were talking about mm. all these reviews and reports, whatever you look at, it just, and so I love, the other thing I love about TOP is the idea about participatory democracy, citizens' assemblies, mm. participatory mm. budgeting, all of that evidence-based, what's making a difference in other places. And it's starting mm. to come in here under the radar, but... Will it be binding? Where do we have anything that says, if the citizenship says that this is what needs to happen, how do we make that a binding decision? Yeah, absolutely. And this, I think, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, we all three of us could probably do our own episode on this. But for the sake of time, I'm going to wrap up now and ask either of you to, in one word, express (laughs) (laughs) one thing that you will... I guess, honor to enhance social cohesion, or two or three, whatever, but a small sentence to be like, this is my commitment to enhancing social cohesion in the next couple of weeks before the election. Yeah, look, we have to get away from polarization. That, and that is a whole subject we could talk about, both and as opposed to either war. So essentially, we've got to be inclusive in the conversations and change the conversations away from you're wrong. And that's the problem we've got. And both the left and right parties are responsible for that because it makes you feel good when you can say someone else is wrong. But that Mm -hmm. doesn't help us with the solutions. And that's where we're focused. And for me, so I've been giving a bit of education policy advice in the background. (laughs) And so for me, it comes to what I will do in the next couple of weeks is put more, more policy or more maybe videos or whatever that looks like around the importance for our education system to be teaching civic literacy. Mm. And so I'll talk more about that. Awesome. Yeah. And for me, it's this idea of political creativity and political flexibility. Those two terms for me are driving a lot of my debates and my answers and my speeches and my interaction with people is how can we demonstrate as candidates and political leaders political creativity and political flexibility to work with all of these groups that have opposing views, which I think will be paramount this election year and for New Zealand moving forward. So thank you to both of you for this amazing conversation and opportunity to talk about something that we all obviously care deeply about and we all recognize the importance for it for New Zealand. And I hope people are tuning in and reviewing our podcast and sharing it with all their friends and family. And we look forward to the next episode. Me too. Thanks for hosting that. Thanks, 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 Naomi. Have a good day. Kakiteano. Thank you for listening to New Zealand's Next Top podcast. Please subscribe and share it if you know someone who'd be interested. To find out more about Top, our policies, and our candidates, go to www.top.org.nz.
Thank you.